Hello, and welcome to, to Teaching Topeka, the Capital Journal's podcast where we discuss education topics as our students, teachers, and families adapt to learning during a pandemic. I'm Rafael Garcia, education reporter for the Capital Journal. Today, we'll be talking about another big issue facing students, and that is racial equity and social justice. I'm joined by Dr. Tiffany Anderson, superintendent of, of Topeka Public Schools. Throughout her career, Dr. Anderson has been deeply involved in promotion, promoting racial equity in schools. And last year, Governor Laura Kelly named Dr. Anderson a co-chair of her Commission on Racial Equity and Justice. Dr. Anderson, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I guess to start, in the wake of all of the Black Lives Matter movements that have taken place this summer and all of the movements and protests, what is racial equity and justice? What kind of baseline can we lie down as we talk about this topic? You know, the issues of racial equity and justice really lie on the foundation of knowing that there are opportunity gaps um, uh, throughout uh, this nation. Uh, And so Kansas is no different than many other places. Uh, And there are opportunity gaps really based on race. Now, we know uh, that race is a social construct, but because of the color of your skin or how you appear, um, there are uh, injustices that uh, may take place and that are viewed quite publicly, uh, whether it's uh, the number of, uh, disproportionate number of people in prison, uh, whether it is the treatment of people of color by um, uh, the police uh, publicly on camera, or, or whether are, there are other inequities really based on race, which we can back up with data that we know to be true regarding um, a pattern that uh, of inequity uh, solely based on this social construct of race. So uh, racial justice and equity is really um, a strong position that our governor has taken in Kansas uh, to ensure that we really look at this issue of equity, understand uh, the patterns and trends and the uh, injustices that we see throughout Kansas, and we look at how do we get better uh, and begin to propose some ways to do that. Mm-hmm. I imagine schools play a big part in that. Um, I've heard before that schools are a great equalizer, um, especially in creating some of these opportunities for students, but especially as we talk about any of those racial gaps, what role do schools play in um, discussions about racial equity and justice? You know, schools play a tremendous uh, role, not only in the discussion, but really in the impact of the outcomes. We know that uh, the majority of individuals that uh, are in prison and that are incarcerated are individuals who have not graduated from high school. We know that that's a pattern, but even more so for people of color, there's a disproportionate number of people of color, particularly males, in prison, and many of those are not graduates from high school. So schools in general play a tremendous part in talking about equity and justice uh, across the spectrum. Now, having said that, um, the courageous conversations um, can take place anywhere, but we know that every student must go to school, right? And so uh, every student, uh, for the most part, uh, although we're in a pandemic and many are at home, uh, they're still engaged with an instructor. And so we have this uh, incredible opportunity to um, have courageous conversations about things that students see at the very youngest of ages. Um, So when you look at the curriculum uh, across the state of Kansas or in any state, one must ask, uh, when are we introducing topics of um, 
race. Uh, students certainly are not colorblind and we don't want them to be. I want them to be color conscious because our color brings something into the classroom and our history. So uh, schools can play a part of understanding uh, race as a social construct, understanding ethnicity, which is different, uh, but also understanding differences and how that really makes us um, collectively uh, better as individuals in the community. So schools can play a part in having that. Schools can also uh, choose not to have those conversations and lead students to making some conclusions based on just their life experience or what they see. Um, so we have an opportunity to be a disruptor, if you will. Uh, again, schools are the great equalizer, as you've said, and uh, we have the opportunity to really level that playing field with giving all young people the level of information and the opportunity to think critically about these topics. Um, and if we do that well, I believe we really uh, help um, promote civic engagement in a whole new way on this topic of uh, social justice, race, equity, and a variety of other topics. Mm -hmm. Specifically, as we look at this past summer, it's been no question history in the making. Um, it seems like years from now in the future, students will be learning about this past summer in textbooks. How do we approach that subject of the um, historical aspect of these um, events right now in the classrooms? You know, I'm so glad that you asked that. History is so important. Um, you know, right now, um, I will tell you, as we're going through the social uh, unrest and the racial unrest and protests that we're seeing across the country, um, prior to becoming a superintendent in Topeka Public Schools, I was superintendent in Jennings, which is Borders Ferguson. And so um, where the death of Mike Brown occurred, and again, um, you know, protests and unrest, and that really is an opportunity to pause to look at um, not only how are you uh, taking current events with young people uh, and things that they're seeing on TV and having conversations in ways that um, are healthy and good and allow for students to think critically, but it also should cause you to examine what do you have in your own curriculum. So um, many students, as we right now are experiencing uh, the social and uh, justice issues and the unrest uh, weren't aware of things like Black Wall Street, which, uh, you know, and, and the burning down of a city. They didn't learn that in school. Uh, many students have talked about a variety of uh, new information that they're seeing on social media uh, that occurred uh, in uh, decades ago that, that they just didn't learn about. So again, when we read about this years later, it's really a matter of um, looking at as educators, are we opening the door to share the information? And then are we trained enough to make sure that we facilitate a constructive dialogue on these topics so students can make their own uh, logical conclusions about what part they play in ensuring that we are in a just society and a community. Um, so for us in Topeka, we've really revamped our curriculum um, so that uh, it not only has an equity focus, but that we really are making sure that we're introducing in kindergarten, first and second grade, uh, um, uh, a deeper topic about community and cultures and differences in a way that is developmentally appropriate, but it also encourages uh, conversation, even in kindergarten. And in Kansas, if you follow the state's curriculum, it's possible that you would be introducing um, history from the lens of slavery in Kansas 
as the first introduction for students, which is unfortunate because that should not be the first introduction. But if that is the first introduction for students in the upper elementary uh, and middle school grades, then students might form this impression, um, inaccurate impression, that um, slavery is where all things started. Uh, so I would encourage educators uh, to really begin to look at not only the curriculum um, that we're given in the state, but to also look at their own um, curriculum materials and determine how best to integrate um, opportunities for conversation, but also to integrate history, current events in terms of history, but also all of the history that comes well before slavery and all of the current events that occurred beyond the civil rights movement. Um, and, and again, in elementary and middle school, you, you're really kind of within those two realms, primarily in the state of Kansas. Yeah, especially in the context of um, the Ferguson protests five years ago, what do you think might be different about this past year or this past summer in protests? Now, it has been uh, really incredible to see um, this collective energy focused on um, equity and justice uh, in a variety of arenas, and it's being um, embraced by people from all walks of life. Um, when the Ferguson protests happened, it was almost as though uh, there was um, anger and frustration and a movement for a moment. And then uh, while that movement uh, continued, um, it wasn't as widely embraced as um, an opportunity to have true dialogue about race and equity and justice. And, you know, so you saw pockets of, of conversation and courageous conversations and islands of excellence where people uh, really revamped some things as it related to curriculum. But this uh, grassroots movement didn't grow, uh, from my perspective, in the same manner that we're currently in now. And that could be in part because people are fed up. And there are many different um, incidents in a very short period of time that are very public uh, that are occurring in a way that causes people to pause and uh, really look at this topic. Uh, so when we talk about Black Lives Matter as a uh, overall uh, movement and it being embraced by cities, uh, by um, educators and politicians, but also just by your everyday community member who perhaps before wasn't as uh, aware of uh, the injustices uh, to people of color and, you know, uh, all people of color. But this piece of Black Lives Matter, it's not new this year, uh, but it's really taken off as uh, an opportunity to have critical dialogue about uh, what does it mean to be black in America and, and what are some injustices that we need to confront and then how do we transform and get better that's really what this is about from my perspective mm -hmm. is it possible to talk about these sorts of topics without becoming political or involving politics in it you know well I believe that um, not only is it possible to have conversation about um, any of these topics but it is necessary in order to have movement. And when we talk about being political, um, when it comes right down to it, um, we must you know, introduce some legislation that uh, ensures uh, further protection of people of color, 
we must ensure that there's legislation and policies in place that allow for transparency at all levels for all individuals. Uh, and so in order to do that, that requires a level of political movement. Um, so I don't think we should be afraid of that. I think we should embrace the opportunity to have a dialogue and share ways in which we can uh, tackle these issues uh, in every arena. Uh, but um, for the state of Kansas, uh, our governor has um, you know, taken the very bold and courageous move of creating a commission, uh, which I have the privilege to co-chair. And the commission's job is to uh, have recommendations ready to look at policies and and to suggest some new, perhaps, legislative priorities and changes. Um, so that's political. But the commission is doing that by listening first to the community and having listening sessions and learning and having guest speakers on topics and then really reflecting and having dialogue about how we can transform where we are now so that we're better tomorrow than we were today. Mm -hmm. What work still needs to be done um, in our schools to um, promote these concepts of racial equity and justice? Okay, well, let me first say the work will never be over. I think this is um, uh, an opportunity to look at equity and justice uh, from um, perhaps the lens of um, the most current situations that are on the, on the forefront of people's mind, but this is an ongoing dialogue about how do we continue to have an inclusive environment and community? Um, how do we make sure that uh, we are transforming our communities in ways that give access and opportunity? And then what are the uh, trends and what does the data tell us that um, really points to institutionalized uh, racism? And how do we break down uh, those systemic barriers so that all individuals truly do have the access that we want them to have? So this conversation, I don't believe, should ever really be over. And the uh, steps that we take should never be over because this is about continuous improvement. How do we continuously improve as a community and as a nation? That being said, uh, the work that still certainly needs to be done is a review of uh, curriculum materials within schools and uh, making sure that we are um, uh, including uh, equity and justice as just uh, uh, a requirement throughout uh, the pre-K-12 experience so that students aren't introduced to something for the first time in, um, you know, in places where uh, they don't have the context or knowledge or even opportunity to dialogue with other people who are uh, informed we also certainly have to make sure that the level of training must occur consistently in all schools and perhaps even be mandated. So um, training uh, as it relates to bias, uh, which uh, certainly we all have our own biases and ways that we bring to the table and, and knowing how do you deal with that and have those conversations, microaggressions and statements that people make, uh, making sure that we just really teach people how to think critically. So in Topeka Public Schools, we actually partner with um, one of the uh, centers that really trains on equity and justice, and we've had that partnership at MOU for quite some time. Uh, many years ago, under President Johnson, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, issued an order that every state actually has an equity and justice center, and I don't know that everybody knows that it's free. It, they can give you training, and we here in Topeka 
are um, partnered with Midwest Equity and it serves the entire Midwest at no charge to us. So they're training our administrators who in turn are training staff. The other work that still needs to be done is a willingness and a courageous spirit uh, to unapologetically uh, look at some of the systems that promote the school to prison pipeline. And there is certainly a school to prison pipeline. We know if you, uh, you know, haven't mastered uh, literacy skills by third or fourth grade, you're more likely to uh, go to prison and prisons are built based on that. Uh, so this uh, lack of access and opportunity and perhaps uh, the lack of access and opportunity predominantly in high poverty and high minority uh, or uh, communities of color uh, is, I think, another way to um, promote uh, an injustice that leads students straight from the school and straight into prison. So in Topeka, we actually have been studying the school to prison pipeline. I require that every principal that gets hired here uh, goes to the prison. Uh, meets the young people that are in the juvenile uh, detention center and we really look at the data and all of the data that we look at really is uh, by ethnicity, uh, additionally by race, by uh, free lunch and what you can see are some patterns and so we then are willing to say why is that pattern there and then how do we disrupt it? You have to be willing to be a disruptor in order to make change and to be unapologetic about that. Um, so. You know, that work um, is still there for all of us, well beyond Kansas. And until we uh, take the time and opportunity to really um, come at this with uh, a courageous attitude of having these conversations that are really difficult to have and uh, put some actions in place to break down the barriers, um, you won't see the level of transformation that you need to see for many years to come. You know, systemic racism is held up by the legs of um, oppressive attitudes and mindsets and bias and discrimination. So we have to break down those legs and move those so that this table is um, uh, level and we level the playing field for everyone. And until we're willing to do that, um, we're going to be in this place for a long time. So. Just the very fact that I'm the first black female superintendent in Topeka Public Schools, and there's, you know, uh, and and one of five in the state of Kansas, and there are almost 400 superintendents in Kansas. One has to ask themselves, what's the system that prevented more people of color from being in Kansas? And five years ago, I was the only black superintendent in the state of Kansas. So, so that should cause us to pause for a moment when we see things that. Uh, are um, not representative of the people that we serve. Uh, and we have to ask ourselves, are are, how are we feeding the system, if we are, of injustice? And then how do we change? Mm -hmm. And I am so happy to be part of a state that is all about looking at how we change, from schools to police reform to um, uh, the healthcare system. And it's an exciting time, honestly, to be uh, a Kansan. Mm -hmm. What role will our students play in advancing that work as they become young adults and leaders in our communities? You know, the, our student voice is key and critical to making change. In fact, you know, over the course of this month and next month, we actually are making sure students are registering to vote. Um, we have a training uh, for them on knowing their rights to make sure that our young adults know what their rights are. 
particularly our students of color. Um, but students really have the opportunity to advance this agenda in some powerful ways. Uh, this is going to be uh, really um, on the lap of our young people to become engaged uh, uh, within the community and to really push civic engagement to a whole nother level. You know, our mayor, Mayor Della Isla, started the Youth Commission here in Topeka. And the Youth Commission gets together and they really look at um, systems of um, uh, political systems, really, uh, and opportunities for kids to have voice, for young people to have voice. They are our future leaders, uh, and they certainly are going to be uh, some of the decision makers uh, in regards to how economic prosperity continues. And if we don't change uh, in how we create access and opportunity for all, as we become more diverse, then we really will be impacting economic prosperity uh, nationally. Um, so our young people's voice is key. Now in Topeka, we are promoting uh, having young people really bring their voice to the table by uh, encouraging conversations with uh, the police department. So we actually have uh, partnered with the police department and they actually teach in one of our schools alongside a teacher. Um, and they're recruiting people of color uh, through that program as well to be on the police force. Um, on the 21st, our students are actually hosting uh, the district attorney to ask some questions about uh, laws uh, right here and practices and, and criminal justice and police reform. Um, you know, we can't be scared of the conversation. And I, again, am proud that we have, uh, you know, uh, uh, Attorney Kagey that's willing to come and have a conversation with young people. And I'm proud of young people that are willing to kind of bring their voice to the table. Um, voiceless people uh, are overlooked and individuals without hope um, feed systems of injustice. So our young people have the opportunity to not only be heard, but to really make sustainable change that will last generations to come. So in Topeka, and I encourage other educators to promote that level of involvement uh, in every way they possibly can. Mm -hmm. Well, we won't keep you since we know you're a very busy superintendent, Dr. Anderson, but we thank you for your time today. Um, these are high-level conversations and issues, and it sounds like schools are putting forth their best efforts to prepare students to tackle these issues as they become young adults. Um, for the Topeka Capital Journal, I'm Rafael Garcia, and this has been Teaching Topeka. Thank you for listening.